just how far our story goes. Um, <laughs> as a little kid, I had this idea. So if you would, just for a second, picture this little boy, and you have this imagination that just goes from one place to the other. And you tell yourself, one day when I get old, I'm going to steal me a woman, and I'm going to force her to love me. I'm going to snatch her from her family and take her, and, and I'm going to steal her, and I'm going I'm I'm to I'm force this woman to love me, and that's going to be my wife. <laughs> it's kind of funny how we do this through life. We have our own dream, and we think this is what we want. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm so happy that that's not what happened. Um, the Proverbs tells us that an inheritance comes from your parents. But a prudent wife is a gift from God. So today I'm going to really feel God tell me when I talk with pastor that my wife, God's gift to me, was supposed to share tonight. So here she comes, an angel. So fitting since I'm an angel too. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> there's Jack. He's got to go eat his little supper because he was sleeping when we ate. Um, thank you so much for your continuing support of us. Um, without a doubt, they've been the most challenging year, years of our lives. And it means so much to, to know that we have family here that's standing with us and praying for us through all of the things. Um, just an update from that video. We, Josh and I, have been on furlough since July. We came back for my sister's wedding and we are kind of in transition because of the coronavirus. We're gonna visit Mexico in February, talk with the team there and see what the best strategy is going forward. So we will keep in touch with you about what that is and if you wanna get our updates directly on the table outside the door, there's a, you can put your email and you'll be kept in the loop on our developing situation. Um, but I want to share a little bit about Eve today because um, I had the opportunity to speak this summer at City Church in Madison. My dad's the pastor there, Tom Flaherty. Somebody else canceled and he asked me to fill in and I was in a dark place. I was um, just grieving so hard for losing Will and, um, and I thought, no way. I, I can't prepare anything. I don't have time. I don't have energy. I don't have um, just, I couldn't produce anything. And it was only a few weeks away. But I said, if God gives me something to say, then I will say it. And, um, uh, and immediately I thought about Eve. And I was like, why Eve? Um, because her son died. That's what I thought, because that's what all that I was thinking about. And I didn't know that there would be anything to say about Eve, but the more I looked at it, the more there was. And so I'm just going to share with you as much as I can today. If I don't get through all of it, you can tune in again tomorrow morning for the rest. <laughs> um, so the reading is very short, and then I will pray. So in Genesis 4... It's right after Adam and Eve have been kicked out of um, the Garden of Eden and the 
heading is Cain and Abel. It's a chapter about Cain and Abel, but Eve actually says two things. So I'm just going to read them there in verse 1 and verse 25. Um, so Adam knew his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain, saying, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And then in verse 25... Adam knew his wife again, and she gave birth to his son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Um, at first glance, these two statements don't seem that different, but after unpacking them, I spent a lot of time thinking about this, and my own experience with my son's death realized that something very profound happened to Eve um, between the birth of Cain and the birth of Seth. Um, so, and that, well, that profound thing was the death of her son, Abel, and it shifted how she viewed things. So let's first look at this sentence. The first sentence in chapter one, I, verse one says, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Now, some translations say, with the help of the Lord, I have gotten a man, but the Hebrew does not have the word help. It's just, I got a man from Yahweh. That's what it says. And the word got is kana, and that's where she gets the name, Cain. So the name Cain is gotten. This is my gotten child. And that um, word also is translated in other places, purchased. Um, so like purchased a field. It's the idea of transferring possession. So Cain... Cain is a form of kana, which is purchase, and kain means possession. This is my possession. And that is a surprising thing to say when you, have, you give birth to a child. I have purchased a child from the Lord. So I think Eve had a bit of an attitude problem. And if we back up to chapter 3 and see the whole fall and her conversation with the serpent, um, it's not hard to see what it is. So she, she lived in perfection. She had perfect intimacy with God, union with her husband. Everything was wonderful and beautiful. But in chapter 3, she enters into a conversation with a serpent, and she's hanging around the forbidden thing that God said they shouldn't do, which was... Don't eat from that tree, because it's called the knowledge of good and evil, and when you eat it, you'll die. Okay, so that was the warning. But if you think about it, she probably didn't take that warning very seriously, because if all you've ever known is good, then the word evil doesn't really mean much to you. It's just like, okay, good and evil, what's that? I don't know. And you'll surely die. But what is die? because nobody's ever died. So she's just like, yeah, so God doesn't want us to eat this tree that's called good and evil, whatever that means, because we'll die, whatever that means. So she hasn't taken it very seriously to heart this warning. And she, um, in chapter 3, it says um, that she saw that the fruit was good for food, pleasing to the eye and desirable for making one wise. So... She's talking to the serpent, and he gives her this alternate narrative, alternate facts. He's like, what if God isn't actually good, but he 
is hiding something from you, that this is actually a good thing, and God is withholding it from you, and he's mean for withholding it from you. And instead of rejecting that, like, no, I know God's good because everything's good and we have a great life. She's like, oh, maybe you're right. Maybe I've been missing it all this time. Maybe he is withholding things from me. And so then she starts thinking about it and justifying her decision. It's not that she was tricked to, and to choosing the wrong thing. Okay, She didn't choose to do the wrong thing. She talked herself into thinking that the wrong thing was the right thing because she's like, this is good for food. I'm hungry. Food is good. I should eat food. It's pleasing to the eye. Why would God make it beautiful and attractive to me if I wasn't supposed to eat it? It's desirable for wisdom. God wants me to be wise. Why shouldn't I eat this? In fact, I should eat it. This is probably some kind of test, and I should eat it. So she eats it. And nothing happens to her. So she's further justified. Like, oh, see? No problem. Nothing happened. And then she tells Adam, Adam, this is, we've been tricked. God was lying to us. This is no big deal. You should have some too. And um, this is what we do when we talk ourselves into doing the wrong thing. It's not enough to just do the wrong thing. We want to think that we're doing the right thing. And then we tell other people to do the wrong thing that we have now decided is the right thing. Because morality is, it's supposed to be universal. And so when we make our own system, we want everyone else to embrace our system too, so that we're convinced it's right. Um, so then Adam eats it. And then they realize they're naked. And I think that's just this vulnerability, like, whoa, if God was lying to us, what else is he hiding from us? What else is he withholding? Maybe, you know, there are other secrets. And now they have all this new avenue of thought, like, what, um, maybe we need to protect ourselves. Maybe we should put clothes on, all these things. Then they hide from God. They blame each other. God says, what did you do? And Adam said, it was her. And she says, it was the snake. And then he says, um, sorry, you... You can't live in this garden anymore because I don't want you to live forever like this. And it says that he shut the way to the tree of life so that they wouldn't live forever that way because they have entered into this deception where they think God's the liar and they make the truth. And so it must have seemed horribly unfair to Eve. Um, she probably is thinking... I only did what anyone would do. I think God is overreacting. Why would he kick me out of the garden? And, and now her life is uncomfortable, and she has to work for her food, and she gets pregnant, and she's never been pregnant before. It's very uncomfortable, I'll tell you. And she's like, what is going on? This is so painful. And she knows that God's curse for her was that childbearing would be painful. And so I just think that she was mad about it. And when she finally had labor and pain and all this, she said, oh, now this is my child because I earned him, because I've gone through all this pain and God cursed me with pain, but now this child is mine, okay? And she named him Possession. Um, and I think 
we are very similar, all of us, are very much like Eve. When we, we have something good and we lose it, we tend to grumble, store up resentment, yearn for the good old days, bemoan the change, we blame God, why did you bring me here? This is so uncomfortable, this is not what I wanted, this is not like I thought it would be, and it can make us afraid, like we try to control things more, we try to build our own system, and I think probably Eve did this with Cain and Abel, she's like, okay, these are my kids, I don't really understand God, I don't know why he kicked me out, it was kind of mean, and so she, but I have my family, I have Adam, and I'm raising these boys, and um, they're my everything now, I'll, I'll have joy in them, I'll have intimacy with them, because I've lost that with God, um, so here's my family, and I'll just kind of keep God at a distance. Um, and we know a few things about Cain and Abel growing up. They, they were still in the presence of the Lord, because it's not until after Abel dies that it says Cain left the presence of the Lord. So it seems like the presence of the Lord was still available to them, but they didn't, they didn't have a relationship with him like Adam and Eve had had, because they weren't walking with him, but it says that they made a sacrifice on this day. Um, Cain comes to make a sacrifice to God, but and we see his attitude. We see that he is proud, entitled, stubborn, that he brings his offering, and when God doesn't accept it, he's immediately mad, like, well, who are you to tell me my sacrifice isn't good? Like, I did what I thought was right, and you're not accepting it, so now I'm mad. Um, so he obviously was not raised with a reverence for God or a fear of God or like, hey, God's in charge, actually, and you're under him. Um, so that's one indicator that Eve's attitude maybe hadn't changed yet. Um, so we see that Cain rejects God's kindness, ignores his warning, becomes enslaved to sin, kills his brother, and is exiled in the land of wandering for all of his days. And I think this is when Eve really fell. This is the true fall. Because until this day, she kind of had grounds to continue justifying herself. Or to continue thinking that it was no big deal to just take a bite of an apple and God shouldn't have kicked me out until um, she actually sees evil, and she actually sees death. Think about it. This is the first death. This is the first person that has died, and it's not of old age. It's not a nice death. It's not her. It's not her husband. It's her son. It's her beautiful, innocent boy, and now she has to wrestle with the horrifying reality that he will never laugh again, he'll never sing again, he'll never eat at her table, he'll never shepherd the lambs, and that she will miss him forever. All she'll ever do for the rest of her life is wish that he was still alive. And it is so heavy. It is so crushing. It's such an ache. 
that she realizes, oh my, this is death. This is horrible. This is way, way, way worse than anything that I ever imagined when I was in the garden. And finally, she realizes what God was talking about, that he didn't want her to experience this. And so now she realizes God was, was right. He was trying to protect me. He was trying to keep me from experiencing death. And not just death, but evil. Because it's not just some accident that brought this death. It is evil beyond imagining that her other son, who she loves, was so bound up with hatred and envy and rage that he killed his brother on purpose. And so now she's just crushed. Like, I had no idea. Things could be so horrible, so confusing, so just so maddening, so, um, what's the word? Such a waste, such a waste. She didn't know that that kind of evil was possible. And now she's finally ready to repent. She says, I imagine, oh God, I didn't know. I didn't know what you meant when you said evil. I thought it couldn't be that bad. But it is. It's way worse than bad. I thought you were wrong. I thought you were cruel. I thought you were withholding something from me. But I was wrong. You were trying to protect me. You loved me. You wanted me to only have the good things. Why did I do, why did I not trust you? And now I have failed, I failed you, my sons, I have nothing left. And so her family, her little garden, her little comfortable life that she was trying to build for herself while she kept God at a distance is gone, just all the way gone in a moment. She doesn't have Abel, she doesn't have Cain, and she just has pain and confusion and so what did she have left right then? Only remembering the garden. Like, this isn't how it was supposed to be. There was supposed to be beauty and harmony and unity. And we left that. How can I get back to that? And I think in suffering, um, God can do this for us in a way that little discomforts never can true life-changing suffering, God invites us to let go of our kingdom that we've been building and just be desperate to enter his because we realize there's nothing else. I can't be good by myself. I can't be strong by myself. I can't be wise by myself. I can't keep my family safe by myself. Nothing of this, nothing of my effort is worth anything. I need you. I need to be with you to find your way because that's the only good way. And he wants doubts about his character replaced with certainty that no one else has anything better to offer. Like, I'm not good. You're not good. Certainly the world isn't good. Certainly political systems aren't good. Certainly these empty philosophies that lead to despair are not good. Only God is good. And so um, it's a big claim to make that she was feeling all these things because it's not there in the text. But when Seth is born, 
Everything about what she says is different. She says, God has appointed me another child. And the Hebrew there for child is actually seed, like a literal seed in the ground. So instead of her saying, I have purchased a man from the Lord, because he was mean and he didn't want me to have it, but I earned it and I got it. And this is my Cain possession. She says, God, and she calls him Elohim, a reverent name for God, has appointed me, he has given me, he has set for me another seed which will grow, and I'm going to tend it carefully, but Seth's name is from appointed or given. God has given me another gift, and I didn't deserve it. I didn't do anything to deserve it, and it's a seed, and I need to tend it carefully, and this is God's gift to me, and it's not because I earned it. And I bet when Seth was growing up, she did not tell him all her complaints and everything. She was just like, Seth, this world is really, really dark and hard, and Really bad things are going to happen. But I want you to know that it wasn't always like this. And it isn't supposed to be like this. And God wanted something different for us. And the only way you're going to find something different than darkness is if you find him. So you need to call on him. You need to go to him. You need to find a way to walk with him again. And in verse... 26, the next verse, it says, and Seth grew up and had a son named Enosh, and in that day, men began to call on the name of the Lord. So I think there, that that shift happened. So I'm going to have the worship team come back with the last five minutes. Um, and I just want you to know that that's what God wants for you today. He wants you to find the garden again, to find intimacy with him. And he wants it so much that he came into history and sacrificed his own firstborn son to open the way back to the tree of life so that we can live forever with him and we don't have to live forever without him. In Revelation 2.7, it says, to the one who overcomes, I will grant to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And what do we have to overcome? Suffering, pain, trial, confusion, not fully understanding everything, our own deceptive desires. Um, and we just have to hold on to God's character and the fact that he didn't want it to be like this. But because it is, he's made a way out of it if you only keep clinging to him. So... Um, I'll pray, and then you guys can play maybe a chorus and then pray. So, God, we are so desperate for you. We don't have anything apart from you. We can't control anything. We can't make anything good. We can't make anything safe. You are the only one that has no darkness. Our world and our flesh constantly seek to deceive us to have us agree with them instead of with you. But we don't want to anymore. So we ask you, Lord, to just highlight in our own hearts and minds any area of compromise, any area where we've said, oh, well, that's not really that big of a deal, or oh, he doesn't really care about that, or that wasn't really my fault, and just 
lay it out there and say, God, no, I was wrong. I'm sorry. You were right. I want your way. I need to find you in the garden again.